Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am Rob Clark, your host, and with me as always, Mr. Ed Katz. How you doing, Ed? Hello, everyone. Great to be back. Feels like we were just here doing this. Just a few minutes ago. Seems that way, but this is a continuation of the last episode. So this is... uh, you know, continuing how to improve that quality of service. And in our last episode, Ed, we uh, talked about the importance of creating that SOS, that scope of services, and then making sure that went from the salesperson to operations, and then ultimately to the dispatcher who's going to dispatch the crew and how that is instrumental in making sure that, you know, it's a huge part of delivering that quality of service. So um, in this one, I want to know, exactly how you implement implement that to, to make it work. I owe all this that I'm about to say to a stock brokerage firm on Wall Street a lifetime ago called EF Hutton. I went through their training and a lifetime ago, believe me when I tell you, 1960, 1966, 67. And uh, I learned then the way you change behavior, the way you train behavior, the way you make it happen is through this called role playing, role playing. And I used to dread this because we had speaker phones as we have today. And they would send one of us, there were 60 of us in this training class and they would randomly pick somebody to go out in the hall, call into the classroom on a speaker phone. And the teacher at the time would throw that poor person Uh, a hot potato. So let's say Ed Katz is now out in the hall. I call into the classroom. The teacher answers the phone in front of the other 59 students on a speakerphone. And he tells me that he's an old man that has a portfolio with all these stocks and bonds in it. And why are you calling me? And why are you bothering me? And I had to be that stockbroker pretend and overcome his objections and convince him to buy stocks or bonds from me at Katz. Well, I went crazy. I did that for about seven months. I was losing my hair. I couldn't sleep at night. So I left Wall Street. I couldn't handle that. But anyhow, I learned that role playing is a great way to train employees to follow the process. And what we did at my moving company, based on that experience I had on Wall Street, was at least once a month, I would get together with my 12 supervisors and we would role play. Now, initially, they were embarrassed. They thought I was crazy. You know, I'm not crazy, right, Rob? (laughs) Well, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. But anyhow, (laughs) um, I would pretend, for example, that I was the dispatcher and that they were supervisors. And I would say, okay, we're going to role play. This is what you're going to do. And this is how you're going to do it. And what I learned was this, if you tell somebody, this is the process, this is the procedure. Do you understand? I learned a long time ago, you never ask a guy, do you understand? Because before you even finish asking the question. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. 
Of course, I know everything. I'm a guy. So you don't ever waste oxygen by asking a guy, do you understand? That's not how we teach and train. But what I did do was explain there will be a scope of services. A scope of service is going to clearly define what our customer is going to do before the move and be responsible for and what we, the movers, are going to do. And we are going to read the scope of services to you. And you're going to want to pay attention because you are then going to have to paraphrase. That means in your own words, tell us what the job is all about before you are permitted to leave the warehouse and go to the job. So you're going to want to pay attention, right? So you don't want to look stupid, right? Nobody does. That's, that's the Nobody point does. of not so, wanting to uh, role right. play. <laughs> Now, if all we did was tell them, this is the process, this is how we're going to do it, believe me when I tell you, at dispatch time, it would never happen. So we role-played. And in this classroom environment, we actually did the role-playing. Can you, can you give an example of, of how, what that would look like? Sure. Now, you have to understand, initially, they thought I was really weird, and they were really embarrassed. But we made it fun. I made it entertaining. I acted a little silly, if you can imagine. So I would say, all right, Philip, Philip White still works at Peachtree Movers. This is 22 years after I sold the company. Poor Philip is still there. He, he would be a perfect uh, supervisor to give this example. Just did it by the drill. Philip, come up in front of everyone. We got 11 other supervisors in our classroom environment. And I would say, Philip, I'm reading the scope of services to you now. I want you to be Philip White's supervisor. Don't tell me what you would do. I want you to pretend you are Philip White, the supervisor. I'm the owner of the company, but right now I'm pretending to be your dispatcher. So, Philip, I notice on this job, and I take out a piece of paper, and I pretend I'm reading the scope of services. Uh, the customer is going to move all the paintings and pictures. The customer is going to move all their plants that are there. Uh the customer is going to have the copier prepared. That means we're moving the copier, Philip, and we're moving all their computers. So they're going to have those prepared according to our standard procedures. And, Philip, you're going to be moving everything except 50 chairs. Now, Philip White, you just are at dispatch time. I just told you I'm your dispatcher. This is what's happening. Now you tell me what you're going to be doing on the job. So Philip, the very first time he does this, he's half looking at the other 11 supervisors. That's just what happens when you have a group like that. And he's half looking at me. So he says, um, we're moving everything except the chairs. I said, well, you got it okay for the first try. But let me say to you again, here's what's happening. Customers moving the plants. Customers moving the personal bric-a-brac, the paintings, the pictures. And everything is going except... 50 chairs. Oh, and we're moving a copier and computers. They're going to be prepared before you get there. Now you tell me in your own words. Okay, Mr. Katz. Uh, he thinks before he speaks and he's not looking at the rest of the supervisors because he really wants to do it right. He said the customer is going to prepare the computers, prepare the copier, have it prepared. They're moving the plants. They're moving the pictures and paintings and everything is going except the chairs. Perfect, Phil. You got it. Believe me when I tell you this, it's harder to role play and, and act in front of a group than it would be in the real world on a one-on-one -on -one basis. 
So we did this with all 12 supervisors and we did it a number of times until each and every one of them got the drill down perfectly. So the next day at dispatch time, this is how we dispatched. Only we're doing it on a one-on-one basis with no audience. You see the difference? Sure. A little and more they relaxed. Did it, they did it perfectly. They did it perfectly. And then we found when we dispatched that way and they got out to the job, they knew what to anticipate. And all the other things that I said in the podcast before this one, when there's a pickup truck that's blocking the dock or the guys are saying, how long is this job going to run? All those disruptions still occurred, but they were able to deal with those disruptions. They still had in their mind exactly what the job was all about. They knew everything was going except the 50 chairs. It became seamless. Jobs finished on time for the price quoted. And we had situations where, do you think customers might try to take advantage of the moving company and let's pretend Steelcase didn't deliver the 50 chairs. Do you think that the customer might put labels on the chairs without calling the salesperson and say, hey, you might want to adjust your estimate or send more equipment or more men or more trucks? Not really. They didn't. <laughs> yeah. So so what did you do next? How, how did you handle the next steps? You know, it's so unfair in our moving industry and maybe in other industries too, where you have a foreman and a supervisor, it's so unfair. We take maybe the average supervisor has a high school education and the customer contact might be somebody with a college degree or post-college credentials, you know, graduate school, PhD, I don't know. And we expect that supervisor who's intelligent, don't misunderstand me, but doesn't have the education or the experience or the training that the customer contact has. And we expect that supervisor to communicate effectively with the customer contact and win the battle and the war. And a lot of times, uh, if they're not trained how to do that, we have major problems. So before we had this training on how to overcome adversity, how to control the customers, what we're talking about. If we didn't know any better and we sent the scope of services out on the job with the supervisor and we validated the communication at dispatch time, if we didn't go the extra mile, and I'll explain that to you in just a second, we would have problems. So if the supervisor takes the scope of services, a copy with him out on the job and he knows everything's going except the chairs and the customer's labeled everything and says nothing to the mover. If he doesn't know any better, if he hasn't been trained with the IOMI drill, the IOMI process, he's probably going to go up to the customer with his paperwork and says, my paperwork says we're not supposed to move the chairs. Well, now you've maybe embarrassed the customer in front of her peanut gallery or his peanut gallery. You know, the people standing in the break room with the customer or the people that work for that customer right? He's, mm -hmm. he's probably the facilities manager or office manager and the other ones are subordinates that he or she made, you know, babysit the movers on the move with him or her. So now we have a situation where the customer perceives that the supervisor is being disrespectful. And so the customer is going to say to that supervisor, 
I told your salesperson that everything is going. Now we have an impasse here, right? Yep. All that can be avoided. All that can change if we teach the supervisor how to get the customer away from the audience. In other words, we taught our supervisors, and this is really challenging. It's very difficult to teach them this. You don't want to give somebody bad information or negative information in front of an audience ever. So let's say that they're drinking beer in the conference room or in the break room. That's where the customer contact is, right? Eating pizza, drinking beer, and there's four or five of the other subordinates in the conference, in the break room with the customer contact. All right. Supervisor needs to go in there and get that customer contact away from the audience. This is very challenging to teach this. I taught this in role playing with our controlled environment in the classroom monthly with my employees, my supervisors. So here's what we do. If the supervisor doesn't know any better and it's not trained, he's going to go up and say, can I talk to you for a second? Can I talk to you alone for a second? Well, if I'm that customer contact, I'm in my safe zone. These are my people that work for me. I don't want to leave my safe zone. And that customer is probably going to say anything you have to say to me, you can say it in front of my employees, right? Absolutely. He or she feels empowered at that point and has another beer, right? <laughs> so that's not going to work. So what we taught our supervisors to do was this. They walk up to the customer contact. If need be, because a lot of times if they're drinking, they're going to totally ignore the supervisor. I mean, this is the real world. So the supervisor walks up to the customer contact and says, I need, the word is need, N-E-E-D. I need to show you something. At that point, before the customer contact can react, the supervisor turns his back and walks quickly out of the room. 100% of the time with this tact, with this tactic, the customer, at least out of curiosity, is going to follow the supervisor by himself or herself. Once the supervisor sees that he's far enough away from the audience, so there's nobody listening to the conversation, the supervisor plays dumb. He wants to win the battle and the war. He doesn't want to win the battle and lose the war. And he says, I'm confused, but he's really not confused, but he's being a statesperson. He's being a diplomat. And he says to the customer, I'm confused. I have with me a copy, a Xerox copy of the scope of services that the salesperson gave your company. Notice he didn't say to you, because we don't want to make this personal. So the supervisor says to the customer contact softly, I'm confused. I have with me a Xerox copy of the scope of services that the salesperson gave your company. And it clearly states that we're supposed to move everything except the chairs oh i think we just caught the customer 
with his hand or her hand in the cookie jar trying to snooker, take advantage of the moving company, right? But he did it in a very professional, lower the burner, diffuse pressure type way. So the customer says, oh, can you help me out? That darn steel case was supposed to deliver our new chairs to the new location. Can you help me out? Can you, can you move them for us? <clears throat> and the um, supervisor says, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I have to make sure if we do that, we're going to probably have to make a second trip, which is going to take longer. I need to call the base and make sure they don't need my truck, my equipment, or some of my employees to go out on another job. But if they don't need me, we'll be more than happy to do it. And we will have to have you sign a change order because it wasn't part of the estimate. And we need you to sign that before we do this extra moving for you. Is that okay? Sure. They call the base. The base says, you don't have a second job. You can stay out longer. Can, can I interrupt you there just real quick? Sure. So I always think, and I, and I, I, I think this at least happens a lot, if not most of the time, I need you to sign the change order before we can do it, what you just said to the customer. And I think the customer's initial response is going to be, well, how much is it? Okay. And my answer 100% of the time in that example is, again, three words, three words. I don't know for this reason. If you say it's not going to take very long or it's only going to be a little bit more money and the bill is 20% higher, whatever it higher it is, the customer is going to call up and complain and says, if I had known it was going to cost that much more, I would have never had you do the move, you know, the extra moving. Yeah. Who caused the problem? The customer, had the customer done the right thing, the customer would have called the base the salesperson prior to the move and said, hey, we got a situation. I'm sorry, but the chairs aren't going to be delivered on time. We found out they're not going to come till next week. We need all the chairs to go. Can you help us out? And the salesperson could have said it's going to cost you an additional whatever to do the move. But no, that customer really tried to pull a fast one. And this is what they, this is the real world. This is what they do. And just put labels on everything. That's why I said that customer got caught with his or her hand in a cookie jar <laughs> trying to take advantage. Right. And, the, and the supervisor is going to say, I don't know. Well, can you call the office? There's nobody to call. It's going to be the actual time and actual material. So if they move was a guaranteed price, it's no longer a guaranteed price. It's going to be actual time, actual cost. Right? And, and, and the reason... Yeah, and I love that about, about IOMI because, to your point, Ed, we're talking about 50 chairs, but if we had an example of just 10 chairs, and somebody might think, well, 10 chairs, not a big deal. Yeah, I can put them in, no big deal. But not realizing this is a three, you know, bobtail load and go, that with the contents and the equipment, to your point you kind of touched on earlier, it all fits in, in those three bobtails. We have no more room. It fits perfectly. So just by adding 10 chairs, which seems like not that much, once you commit and say, yes, we can do it, no big deal, then you get to the end of that third bobtail and you go, we don't have room for those 10 chairs. Now you've created an issue. That's where we're educating the supervisor so that he or training the supervisor so that he or she doesn't make that call without talking to somebody who knows exactly how it should fit can kind of uh, help eliminate some, some you know, tough conversations you know, later on. 
my supervisors used to tell me that they knew what the client <clears throat> was going to say before they said it because we went through the drill all the time in a classroom environment. So my supervisor said there were times they had to bite their own lip to prevent themselves from smiling because it was like <laughs> embarrassing. Well, think about it. They yeah. know that the customer is going to say, I told your salesperson that everything is going. But here I have a Xerox copy of the scope of services that the salesperson gave your company and it clearly stated blah, blah, blah. And then the customer, oh, can you help us out? And we did all this in role playing. The hardest thing for me to teach and train our supervisors to do was when to pivot and walk out of the room so that the customer contact would follow. Because if they stay too long, the customer is going to yell, what do you want to show me? But see, if he's already walking out of the room, what do you think the customer is going to do 100% of the time? Follow out of curiosity. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're, we're playing poker and we're keeping the cards close to our vest. How does yeah. that sound? No, that makes perfect sense. But here, here's another question for you. Let's say the crew's out of the job site and there is a service failure. You know, maybe there's something that gets damaged. Some, uh, and the supervisor now needs to bring this up to the client that this has occurred. How do you how do you teach them to handle this when when something goes wrong? Let me think for a second. How about this? Let's re, let's relate it to the fifty chairs. Let's 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 say that the customer was proactive and knew the chairs had to go and called the salesperson and the salesperson said, "Oh, we'll add a third truck and we're going to put an extra guy on the job so we can easily accommodate the fifty chairs." And welcome to our world, right? For whatever I don't know what sure. happened. It got communicated to the operations, but operations didn't see the text or the email or whatever happened. So they only send two trucks out instead of three and they're never out of the next guy. So now the supervisor knows that all the chairs are going and he, you know, he's 40% into the move and he sees, we're not going to fit all this on the two trucks that we have. We're going to have to make a second trip. So what I taught at our company was own up to it. We got a problem. It's not going to fit on the two trucks. Or let's say the salesperson underestimated the job, but whatever. They're not going to finish it on time for the price quota. We got an issue here. Own up to it. That's when the supervisor calls the base and says, hey, we're not going to fit it all on the three trucks. What can we do? And then this operations manager says, oh, no, I forgot to send that third truck out. So maybe there's a solution. Maybe another job just came in and that operations manager grabs a driver, right? And says, hey, I need you to take one of your trucks out to the job and be the third truck. So there's a solution. In the meantime, it's going to delay finishing the job because it's going to take time and rush hour traffic to get the truck out there. But the supervisor in that example would go up to the customer and say, I'm so sorry, we have a problem. We were supposed to have three trucks on the job to accommodate the 50 chairs. We don't, but here's the solution. I'm so sorry this happened, but it's going to be an extra 45 minutes. We have a truck on the way to pick up the extra overflow. You won't be charged for any standing around, you know, and that's only fair and sure and reasonable, right? So that's the solution. Another solution might be the operations manager says, there's nothing we can do. Tell the customer, 
to identify the furniture that has to go so they can open for business the next working day. You're 40% into the move. Tell them you're sorry, but you're not going to be able to fit everything on the two trucks. So maybe you're going to be very apologetic. You're going to speak softly. We know all that. You're sorry, but we'll get a truck out there first thing tomorrow morning to pick up the overflow or tomorrow at six o'clock, whatever the elevator situation is. Again, it's an imperfect world. You do the best you can, but when there's a hiccup, you own up to it. I always say the test of a good manager, the test of a good service provider is not when everything goes perfectly and there are no hiccups. To me, the real test of a company is when there's a service failure, when there's a problem, how does that company react? What do they do to fix the problem? Yeah. In a timely manner. That's the real test of management, in my opinion. I totally agree. I absolutely agree. I do have another question, though. We're sure. talking about, you know, training and uh, going through role playing with all of our supervisors. And, you know, they got to do it for Mr. Katz, right? Mr. Katz pulls them aside and makes sure that they're going through this. And then the dispatcher is going to report back to Mr. Katz that, you know, Jimmy, I, I dispatched him this morning. And, yes, he did it properly. I, gave, I went over the scope of services, and he paraphrased everything back to me. Jimmy's got it. You know, he's good to go. But then he gets to the job site. How do you know he's actually doing and following the processes he's supposed to at the actual job site? Well, we had two ways of doing that, and we preached this in IOMI. On an irregular but consistent basis, somebody in management needs to spot check, go out to the job, and make sure they've used extensive building protection, make sure they're wrapping the furniture properly, make sure that they're not eating potato chips while they're pushing a desk down the hallway. Make sure they use wheel chocks under the wheel of the truck when they park the truck. I mean, all these things, irregular but consistent basis so that the supervisor never knew when Mr. Katz would show up on a job. Again, imperfect world. You know, you see- no, it makes I mean, sense. I mean, I'm, I, had I been running the job, maybe I would have used more building protection. Maybe I would have wrapped something differently. I don't know, but my point is this. At least they don't know when you're going to show up. It's random, and they you have to hold them accountable if they don't do the right thing. So that's one way. And the other thing is this. Every time we mailed an invoice, this is before the days of email, forgive me, but we would send out with the invoice, the hard copy, a, a customer evaluation with a self-addressed stamped envelope. So a lot of times the check came back with a completed evaluation. And I would like to tell you that 100% of the time we got, you know, the highest rating you could get. But in the real world, sometimes people didn't fill them out. And sometimes if they did fill them out, they might say that, you know, some of the guys had a body odor. I mean, you know, silly things customers will say. What could we have done to improve the service? We wish you also steam clean modular furniture panels or whatever. But the point was this, we solicited and encouraged feedback through these performance evaluations. And of course, you know, you have social media today, you got Yelp and you got all the other um, Katsu and all these social media ways of evaluating, but you, you encourage feedback on every job. And my goodness gracious, I'm old, I go to doctors. 
I, I can't visit a doctor without getting an email. Will you please evaluate your doctor? I'm thinking, what, are they crazy? You think I'm going to say something bad about this guy who's going to see me again in three months? No, he's great. He's wonderful. <laughs> I mean, think, think about the consequences of that yeah. evaluation. But my point is this. And what do you do? How, do you act upon the evaluation and what the review says, or are you just going to let it go into a stack of papers and not you know, react? And hopefully, whoever does solicit the evaluations and reads them, if there's constructive, positive criticism, act upon it. That, you know, the guys seem to be on their phones the whole time they were doing the move. Oh, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't, get better. You can't get better if you don't act, right? That's right. And you need to know what's going on. I still like, though, the, the irregular but consistent show up on the job when they just make sure that they never know when you're going to show up and they're going to want to perform well because they don't want to have to be humiliated by Mr. Katz because they're not following our procedures. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a good point. But I, I think uh, unless you have something else, we're going to finish it up here because, man, I am itching to jump into a lot of other categories, but I think it, it needs its own podcast. And so I'm going to hold back and we'll save that maybe for the next episode of uh, maybe we'll title it differentiators, you know, how to differentiate yourself in, in the moving industry. Because as we talk about these topics, there's just, you know, per Iomi and just some other ways that, you know, we might be able to differentiate ourselves. What do you think? I've, I've never been at a, I've never been accused of being at a loss for words or not having an opinion on something. So Rob, I think we got about at least another thousand podcasts to do. <laughs> there you go. I'm looking forward to it. Well, Ed, thanks as always for being on this episode. Always enjoy our conversations. No words from Ed. I have. I'm first time yeah. ever. First time, first time ever. ever. I'm speechless. I'm thinking, what is she making for dinner? Really oh, there you food. go. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode. Go sell another move. <laughs>